Good morning. It's good to see everybody here, and I hope you got a bulletin as you came in. Let me begin this morning again, if we can, as we prepare our hearts to read the silent meditation that is there in your bulletin. It comes from the Gospel of John. Listen to this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. It is our prayer this morning that when you leave this place, your joy will be made full. Let me call us to worship. If you'll stand together with me, if you're able, and then we'll continue to sing straight through your bulletin right there, the song, Here Is Love. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You may be seated, and I hope you do have a bulletin to follow along this morning. If you don't, please uh, feel free to get up and go into the foyer or let someone know so that you can follow along with the service. Um, there's not a lot of announcements. You'll see those as you are sent out to your emails. We're trying to encourage you. Um, you will see things on the TV screens, and you'll get things through the uh, internet on your email that you can keep up and sign up for all the activities. Um, but let me just remind everyone, this morning after service, we do have the Sunday School and Bible Study. And so if you go downstairs, uh, we'll be in the fellowship hall and all the classrooms. And we're in the process of finishing one room up uh, that we had made some changes in, and we may be taking a wall out from another one. So uh, we're excited. Our, our ministry is on Sunday night. The youth are still meeting in the fellowship hall. The children's meeting has begun. And so if you have children that are coming, I think we've had up to 13 or so children coming now on Sunday nights in the elementary ages. And so uh, it's a blessing that we need the room for those to come and so that we can reach out to more families. And so we appreciate all of you who are helping I know Stacy has reminded me to ask if you are willing to help with the children's ministry by the form of a snack, please, uh, we'll have Christy put some things up and you can go online, but they usually have just a real quick snack time toward the end of a break, and uh, if you would like to help and volunteer by baking some cookies or bringing a snack or doing something for that one week, it doesn't have to be every week, uh, please let Stacy know or let Christy know and we'll give you the details so that the kids will have something as a snack there in the evening as we go forward. Um, but other than that, I just want to invite you for your shoe boxes. If you haven't picked one up, we have plenty. The Lord has blessed us. And so those that were handing out the boxes, I forget her name, but she came by the church and she asked if we had enough. And I was being selfish and said, I'd love to have more. And so she said, well, how would you like a hundred? And so we have boxes of boxes if you need a shoe box. And so please don't go out and buy one or do anything. We have plenty. If they're not out there, we have them in the office. We'll put more out. Uh, but if you're not able to make a shoebox for Christmas, team up with someone else if you have someone. If not, you're welcome to just bring some supplies by the church. If you have things and you're thinking, gosh, I have all this stuff, but I just don't know what to do, put it in a box itself, bring it to the church, and we'll make sure that if we need to add things to it and make another box, we'll let our youth get together and our children, and we'll just pack as many boxes as are necessary so that we can add to it. But we really want you to be a part of doing it. Uh, my wife was giving me notes. I thought it said, I love you very much. And, and I kept thinking, hun, not right here. You know, this is hard. But 
what, what she was saying was there's no, next Sunday is the Halloween, obviously, our harvest party, our Reformation Sunday, but the youth will be meeting um, at Pastor Nick's house, is that right? And uh, it, I was a little nervous when it said BYOB. I wasn't sure what the youth would be doing with BYOB, but that is your Bible. Um, we want you to know that is still there. I'm learning, folks. I'm learning the area, but... No, next Sunday, the children will not be meeting because we have many that will be out and about and doing things, and so we want you to be safe. Folks, however you celebrate next weekend, just keep it in prayer, bathe it in your families, and use the opportunity as well uh, to truly celebrate Christ as you gather together with many people um, as we can in every instance. But let me take a moment, lead us to the Lord in prayer. If you're visiting with us, we invite you. You'll see the prayer inside the red hymnal if you need the Lord's Prayer. We would also appreciate you filling out a visitor card uh, if you haven't done that so that we'll have a record of your visit so that we can contact and keep up with you and just let you know about what it is Jesus is doing here with us. And so we appreciate you being here. But let me lead us to the throne of grace and then if you would join me in the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for all that you have given us. Lord, I thank you for yesterday for the many who put together the memorial and celebration for Jeff. Lord, just the testimony of the speakers, the friends, the family, for those who come to help set up everything and be a part. Uh, Lord, thank you for letting us be a part of a family that you have put together that truly does care and wants to nurture and love each other. And Lord, we do pray that you'll forgive us of our sins for all the times that we have failed and fallen. Lord, we thank you for your grace where you pick us back up and you restore us and just remind us, Lord, that we're working not on our own strength, but we're working on the strength that you have given us constantly indwelling our lives. Your Holy Spirit, he is there to equip us and enable us. And Lord, it's through him that even this morning we have gathered together to worship. He's the one that calls us and leads us. And Lord, I pray while we're here that all things will be done for your glory. And Lord, again, we, we've never earned it. There's none of our works that are deemed worthy. But it is through your Son that the veil was torn, the Holy of Holies was opened, and that we are able to come together as a body and pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And turn to the back to page 876 as we look at questions 88 and 89. And while you're getting there and while I'm getting there, just a reminder that the catechism questions are not scripture themselves, but we believe they are what scripture teaches. We all need to be taught God's word. We need to read it and be taught it. But these are helpful truths from God's word that we need to be reminded of often. So let me read question 88 and we will respond together. What are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption? The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption 
are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. How is the word made effectual to salvation? The Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. And we have a call to confession. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands, thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's confess our sins to the Lord by using the prayer, which is for you in the bulletin, the Congregational Confession of Sin. Let's pray together. Most gracious and most merciful God, we confess to you and to one another that time after time we have entered your presence with countless prayers, but with hearts that have been closed to your grace. We have lifted our hands to you in praise but our feet have still walked in the ways of evil. We have rehearsed your commandments, but have refused to see your face in the needs of our neighbor. We pray, Lord, that you forgive our lack of faith and pardon our acts of injustice. Grant us the healing that comes from your presence and the cleansing of your all-powerful word. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. We confess our sins to the Lord, and then we look to him for his promise of parting grace. When we confess our sins, we acknowledge that we are vulnerable. We acknowledge that we are needy. And God comes in his grace with his mighty promise to you and to me. God's word says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Brothers and sisters, look to Jesus, the one who took your sins away. He took them upon himself. He bore them so that we wouldn't have to bear them forever. And then he rose from the dead, victorious over death, assuring us that we will also be victorious over death and that he is with us 
right now to the end of the age. So trust in him, rest in him, worship through him. Again, I hope that you brought your Bibles and would turn to the book of 1 John, where we have been studying and sharing together and challenging one another through this small little letter that John writes to us. Last week, we were able to speak about what love is this. And this morning, I want to speak to you about what salvation is this. And I know the plan of salvation can be easily spoken of and shared by any and everybody. We all know technically what it means to be saved. I want to play off a lot of the writings that took place for many years on what it really meant to be saved. Clear back to Dr. D. James Kennedy, one of the largest followings in the world at the time. And he actually wrote something that was called Evangelism Explosion. If you'd never been a part of that, it's been reduced down. When I was in evangelism, the Billy Graham School, we used that, and then we moved on to faith, and we took parts of EE, and they made it into six-week portions so that it wasn't so long. And it's lost a lot of its training. It's been melted down to a simple hand where you can talk to somebody on your hand and present the entire gospel message. I learned it through the Disciples' Cross years ago. So that if we were in restaurants and you had a napkin nearby, you could draw the cross out and speak about obedience and evangelism, the necessity of prayer. You see, it's been for years that the church was excited about seeing people getting saved. But as time has worn on, as it has in many countries around the globe, and the Reformation sometimes begins to wane in the hearts and minds of people, the importance of what it is we're being saved from, all of a sudden we lose the necessity of our need for Jesus Christ. Now we're living in a world, as we'll see here in just a little while, that really doesn't even see the need. Why does the church exist? Why does your church exist? Is it just the gathering of believers so that we can come and fellowship? Is it the place we have in case our children get married? Is it designed so that when we find our loved ones being gathered home, we have a place to go and know that things are right? What's the purpose of the church? Not just the building, but the body. John's been challenging us that if we truly are children of God, it will be demonstrated in our lives through love, this love that Jesus has given us. And so this morning... 1 John chapter 4, the last parts of the chapter, I want to take you beginning in verse 13, where we left off last time, and focus on what he has actually done for us. He ended by saying, verse 12, chapter 4 of 1 John, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected. That's the Greek word we said, teleos. Teleon is completed in us. We are able to see God through us. But he picks up in verse 13. He says this, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides 
in him. By this, it is now translated the same here. This love is perfected or completed with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Underline that, highlight that, because the focus of this whole passage of Jesus coming to save us deals with judgment. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with the punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And then he says, and we love, why? Because he first loved us. Let me take us on a journey for just a moment. What salvation is this? What is it that we're actually saved from? Several years back, I know it was picked up in some of the discussions that we have in our pastoral conferences in our uh, ministries around the United States that you can go to preaching conferences and learn about topics and celebrate things from the evangelicals gatherings to the preachers gatherings to how to prepare things. But Ligonier picked it up years ago, and I know R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul now, had even developed an entire teaching, even wrote a small little book that began to say, saved from what? Because when we began to talk with people, the old question always came out, what do you mean am I saved? That was the, the word that was used. It's the verb that indicates so many things in Scripture. So when I ask you this morning, are you saved? You would have the right to say, well, what do you mean am I saved? I didn't know right now I was needing to be saved. That was the question, the response that would come. Because we are saved from many things in Scripture. There are many things that the Bible talks about. We are saved from calamities when they take place. It is the same Greek word sozo that is used in the word for save or to save or to be saved. It is the same word that is used to be saved in the instance of war, to be delivered from the captives in which you had. It is the word that is used to be delivered from or saved from diseases for those who had diseases. And Jesus healed them and they were what? Saved. Folks, just because you have been made well from a sickness doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You've got to have a proper understanding of when the word is used and why it is used. It's even used in the terms of death. Some of us here this morning have actually been saved from death. Oh, I'm not talking about judgment death, eternal. But we've escaped death's hands, whether it was through sickness, accidents, many perils. But what I do want you to see is the Bible makes it very clear that one of the main issues of being saved is that you understand that we are being saved from the wrath of God. To say that you are saved today is not a focus on the individual events of life, but that you are secure in standing in the presence of the Father and death no longer is a fear because you understand exactly where you are with the Father. And that is why it's about God abiding in us. The assurance that we have is that if we have the love of God, we abide in God and God is in us. There's the assurance that we have been saved. That doesn't mean you will be saved from every peril, saved from every disease, saved from every sickness, saved from every instance. Now we're talking about what really matters is when the conglomeration of all of Scripture put together the entire plan of redemption from the moments we've been through the Garden of Eden all the way till we get back to the Garden with the Tree of Life of Paradise is this plan of reconciliation of being saved from the wrath of God. So this morning I want to focus on that as we look at these several ways in which we are saved. I've asked you to highlight a few things. First of all, verse 13 if we abide in him and he in us, it is because he has given. 
For you Greek lovers, that was the word we've always used. We have tenses throughout the Greek. And you're going to see in just a moment that the word sozo, saved, is used in every tense that we have in Greek. So I'm going to explain that to you in just a moment. But he has given us means it is something that has happened and been completed in the past, and it is still continuing on in the present. It is still active and going. It is the perfect tense. And so here's what he says. We have been given the Spirit, which means it was given to us, it's been completed, and it still is true today. Salvation does not have an end. The important thing you need to understand this morning is not the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints or the statement used for many years, once saved, always saved. That's not the point of this. But to see how John slips it right in there, you cannot receive the Spirit and be saved and then not have the Spirit today. That's why John said earlier in 1 John chapter 2 when he said, they went out from us because they were never really what? Of us. So we're living in a world today in which you can be anointed by the Spirit to do something special. You can receive the power. It is true in the Old Testament. You have to understand the use of the Holy Spirit. Saul, for example, had the Holy Spirit given to him to accomplish the services that God needed. Those that worked on the temple, they were given special gifts. Those that spoke for God at times when he needed, whether through a donkey or not, were given. But that wasn't the salvation of the Holy Spirit. See, God can use us to accomplish his means in any way he wants to. But once you are a child of God and you have been given, you never lose the guarantee that God has given you. You must understand what Jesus has done. Why? He's given us the Spirit for one reason, verse 14, and we have seen and we testify. This is the truth, that he has sent his Son to be the what? The Savior. Let me ask you before I go any farther. Is Jesus your Savior? It's the question put point blank to so many in the scriptures. How do I know? Sometimes I'm confused. Pastor, you just said there's so many different ways in which sozo is used in the scriptures. How do I know if I really am saved or what part I am being saved? Well, let me give you the tenses throughout all of scripture. How does salvation cover us from the beginning? Well, listen to this. If you were in the past tense, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. If you want to turn back there for a minute, you can see I'm just going to give you the few that we begin with and end with. But in Ephesians... Chapter 1, verse 4, we get what is known as the past tense of salvation. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us. Salvation is past tense. You see, if we could go back to the mind of God and go back to the moment in which he was creating and putting things together, we would understand election better and predestination better and foreordination better. But the one thing we would understand is salvation is not something new. It's not something that just comes about. It's not something that God just rises one morning and changes. Salvation has been and is used throughout Scripture in the past tense. When you finally acknowledge Christ as your Savior, it's been in the work since the beginning. Your response to the Holy Spirit is not His new work in you. It's His completed work in you. That is why the word that is used, his love has been perfected. That is the same Greek word is completed. 
because he is now completing what was started in eternity past. You're here this morning, and if you have accepted the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's because his Holy Spirit has convicted, and if I can use his words, perfected the love of God in you. It's past tense. But it's not only that, it's the imperfect tense in which you can translate it, we were being saved throughout history. Not to bore you with all the details of being saved, but he was saving us through Abraham, through Isaac, and through Jacob, and through the covenant promises. It came about in the reiteration of the Mosaic covenant and the promises that were given there. It came about in Jeremiah and the new covenant, which would be written on our hearts. Do you see, we were being saved. It wasn't just that we were saved. It's throughout history, God has been in the process of saving and bringing about the completed work of his son. But it doesn't stop there. You can talk about the present tense in which we are saved, in which even the New Testament writers say that you can trust and rest assured that you have the assurance of your salvation in him. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And what? You shall be. It moves us from that present tense to now what we're moving on into the perfect tense or even the future tense of the word. You see, the salvation that we're talking about this morning covers the entirety of every tense that can be used in Greek. There's not one aspect in which salvation doesn't cover. So from the beginning of the past tense through the imperfect and the present and on into what is known as the perfect or even the pluperfect sense, which is a, a weird translation for us, we get to the future tense in which we realize you shall be saved. See, the confusion comes this. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. If I've been saved in the past, and I know I'm going through a process of salvation now, well, why is it that I'm not saved yet? What is it in the future? It's that tension that we live in, that God has saved us now. He's given us his righteousness. He's clothed us. He's prepared us. But we're being saved. A good word for that is sanctification. You've heard the scriptures work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. You see, salvation, even though it's accomplished, is not completed. One day it will be completed when we shall be saved in the presence of the Father. Where it is there will be made perfect. And the word is called glorification. You ask, well, why is all this so important when it comes to being saved? Listen to what he writes us. He gave his son to be the Savior. But whoever confesses that Jesus has this. That's the trick to the whole thing that takes place. The whole trick is to understand is when does salvation become mine? When are the benefits applied to me? When do I know I'm truly His? You see, in the ultimate sense of this, salvation is when you understand you have been saved from the wrath of God. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The reason salvation is from past into the future is because it is the tying us up into the assurance that we will not face the judgment of God. You do not have to stand here, sit here, worship here this morning wondering whether or not you're going to face God's wrath. We are saved from the wrath of God. 
Some of the scriptures that have had throughout all teach us that. But here's the problem. We're living in a world today of unbelief. And I wouldn't say it's so much the world of unbelief in God as it is even those who claim to be children have an unbelief in God's wrath to come. Judgment. We're living in a world in which no one wants to hear about wrath. No one wants to hear about judgment. We want to hear the sermons that are warm and fuzzy and fluffy and make me feel good. Get me all excited about his grace and his assurance and that when I fail, I can still keep going. And life is really all about the good things in life. That's the kind of salvation we like to hear. And it's true. There is grace. There is mercy in time of need. But God does not have a plan. Folks, listen to this. If you don't think that there's a wrath and you don't think that there's a judgment and you don't think you're going to stand before the presence of God to be accountable for all that's happened, then you don't see a need to be saved. And if you don't see a need to be saved, you don't see the need for a what? A Savior. So we're living in a world today that's not so much an unbelief about the spiritual as it is the unbelief in what we truly need. Folks, you don't call a fireman unless you're in the midst of a what? You wouldn't call the policeman unless you're in the midst of what? If you're not sick, you don't call a who? You see, it's amazing how we live it in everyday part of our lives. You can even make it so simple as to say, you know what? I don't know why in the world anybody would need a realtor. Crazy. Until you're ready to what? Sell your house. You see, we live in the point where we don't see the need, we don't see why we would have to have a need met. And if we're living in a world in which the wrath of God is never presented, in which the judgment of God will never be faced, we're trying to convince a world they need to be saved from what? From a moral consciousness? From behavior? From attitude? What is it in the plan of salvation that makes things so different? If we truly believed in the wrath of God, then evangelism would be an explosion. It was the word that Dr. James Kennedy had used when he wrote the plan of evangelism. For those of you who've ever been through it. It was an extensive long time, 13 weeks, that you would go through a study of what evangelism really meant. And then it was applied in the churches through groups. People were trained, and they went out on the journeys. They would go door to door. They would come up with the questions because he was convinced that if people don't understand they're going to face the wrath of God, then they're never going to know they need a Savior. And so in that plan of evangelism, you would ask yourself today, are you going to escape the wrath of God? That's what we're trying to be saved from. There is a need to be saved. But rather than sharing the wonderful plan of God, listen to what John says. He has the Savior that's come to save the world. What was the plan that you would give a lost person? If you were out sharing your faith today and you wanted to do evangelism and you wanted to reach a lost person, would you go to a lost person and say, you know, God has a wonderful, pleasant plan for you? Would you go to a lost person and say, you know, I truly believe that God has this perfect, wonderful plan for your life if you would just... He's, they're lost. Let's share the true plan that a lost person has in the eyes of God. You would show up to that person, please be careful, and you would say things like this, you know, God has a wonderful plan for you to burn in hell. 
You could always soften it a little bit like that. You know, I'm just here to tell you that there's things you don't understand, that God has a wonderful plan, and it's awful hot. Yeah. They would ask, well, what's it going to be like? Well, nobody's going to like you there. It'll be wonderful. People biting at each other, gnashing at each other. Oh, and by the way, it lasts forever, the pain. You see, that's the true plan if you're facing God and you do not have the coverage of righteousness. Now, I know it makes it sound silly, but folks, we're living in a culture in which we don't want to talk about that because people don't like that. And so we're not seeing people come to salvation because we're not telling people the truth of what they need to be saved from. Sometimes we just convince people, just get saved. It's as if death itself delivers you. Oh, what an amazing funeral we had to celebrate for Jeff. What an amazing story that one of his friends, Lou, shared, and John Perry shared, and another one of the friends in the singing and the songs. Man, what a, what a way to share salvation. But you know how many people were probably sitting there thinking, it's okay, when I die, I'll be ready for heaven. As if death itself prepares us for God. Let me tell you what death really does. It presents us to God. It presents us to God. Which means the only thing death is going to do is the transition to put you in the place of the seat where you face God one-on-one. -on -one. Let me tell you what you need to be saved from. You need to be saved from God. That was the term that was used, not mine. Because in reality, what you're actually asking is, Lord, I need to be saved from you. You're the one that's bringing the wrath. You're the one that's bringing judgment. You're the one that's bringing down the curse. You're the one that's going against those who are lost. It's God that we need to be saved from. Oh, how crazy that sounds. Well, I don't understand that because we have all these second chances to go through, and maybe that's true. Not to belabor the point today, but for those of you believing in a second chance, at least after death, I can't ever find one in the scriptures at all. I even have a hard time believing that the second chance that he gives us before death works because how many of you have been given a second chance and still wasted it? As if the second chance made the difference. But when we look at the truth of what scripture is and the wrath of God is revealed, let me ask you about this. How many people in the Garden of Eden, there weren't a lot, were given a chance to stay there after they sinned. Well, how many people in the days of Noah, well, there was a lot more, that when the wrath came in the flood were given a second chance? Where's the stories in Scripture about those knocking on the sides of the ark? Oh, I've changed my mind. I can see that you're right. I now want to go forward. What about in Sodom and Gomorrah? Did anybody else come running out behind them? gasping as a second chance that they needed more. You see, we can go throughout all of history and just keep going down. Whether it was the five of the ten virgins, half of them that burned all their oils in frivolousness, then banging, trying to get in, no second chances. Not even for the rich man and Lazarus. We begged and pleaded if there would be any opportunity to just go back and tell others. Here's what I bet you he would tell them. You need to be saved from God. Isn't that harsh? 
In reality, we're talking about the wrath that comes. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, folks, you know how you get saved from God? You get saved by God. You get saved by God to be saved from God. Isn't that amazing that God would do that? That God would provide the plan that death isn't the one that saves us. It is in his son, Jesus Christ. It is God in the flesh. It is God in his plan. That God himself saves us from the wrath that is to come. And that we must be saved this way. Why? Because of sin. I'll give you the quick plan. We are enemies with God, if you wish to say debtors. We've got things that are hanging out there. We've transgressed. There's all kinds of things that need to be dealt with and penalties that need to be handled. That's how sin presents itself with God. And yet God, who is angry and ready to give us wrath, is the same God who provides the salvation for his children. We call that grace. 1 Timothy tells us that we are enemies with God and we need to be restored. If you want to turn back just a few books in the Bible there with Timothy, listen to what 1 Timothy says in chapter 2. He says this, For there is only one God and there is only one mediator between God and men. It is the man who? Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You see, it's God who is saving us from the wrath. It is God who steps in in his grace. That's what we're talking about in grace and mercy. I've shared this with you before. If you didn't get it the first time or the second, I'll give it to you time and time again. What is the difference with grace and mercy? Grace is what? Getting what you don't deserve. What is mercy? Not getting what you do deserve. When you talk about a God of grace and mercy, and that's just a, a pun that goes with it, there's more to it than that, but it's an easy way to see. A God of grace, he's giving us a salvation we don't deserve. He's giving us a rescue from the wrath. He's giving us an out. He's giving us a covering. He's doing it himself. It has nothing to do with us. He's chosen us. He loves us. And he's given us his son as a God of grace. And he's a God of mercy because he's not giving us the wrath we do deserve. He's withheld that. He's placed it on someone else. He hasn't forgotten about it. Someone needed to take that. That's part of being a criminal. You've transgressed. Something has to be paid. There's a penalty that's there, and someone has to pay it. And we get that in Jesus Christ, fully satisfied. The book of Colossians chapter 1. I'll let you read it. You see, we're here this morning to realize what is this Jesus? What salvation is this? That he came to save the world, that we would abide in him, we would be safe in him, and that we would be perfected in him. If you're here this morning and you've never heard the importance of the wrath of God, let me be the first to make it clear. As a sinner, you're going to die and go to hell. There's no other hope for you. That is your end. That is your reward for living in your own selfish desires, the lack of conformity and want thereof of God's plans and purposes. You'll enjoy it, I'm sure. I've never heard a story about anybody in hell other than this rich man that's kicking and screaming, saying, oh, I wish I could have gone to heaven again. People who go to hell actually get the desires of their heart. Just as the people going to heaven, oh, don't wish I didn't have to come here. I served God long, long enough. That was a long life. Well, I got to do it for eternity. You see, God gives us the desires. It's an amazing way that God works as he saves us from the wrath 
And yet he gives those who deserve the wrath. We all seem to be a, a, a pleasing state. How can he do that? How does Jesus do that? How do we deal with the penalty? Well, you know it. I don't have to tell you. Romans 6.23, could you say it by heart? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Take that word, tontelios, perfect, completed. How long is eternal? It's because God began to save us before the foundations of the world. He completed that act through his son, Jesus Christ. And one day we shall be saved in its completed fullness. And there's no other way. Surrounded by the grace and mercy of God. I don't remember who it was that was speaking. I don't know who the words were. It was at a conference one time. It's written down. You may know the actual person who did it. But he was speaking, I think, at the queen's birthday. When he was talking about God's grace. And he said, salvation was by grace. And he gave us the little acronym. Do you remember what the word grace stood for? I've seen it so many times. It's what? God's riches at Christ's expense. Is that you this morning? Do you understand that God has saved you from wrath? And he's done it at the expense of his son, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Not just that you understand that. Not just that you would agree to that. But do you believe that? Do you trust and rest solely in that? Why? Because not only are we saved from God by God, but we're saved for God. For His purposes. Yes, Romans is the easiest one. There are so many more out there. But I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourself as what? Living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable to God. This is the first and most important. Why? Because you're being saved for the purpose of God using you. That's why John says it this way. Whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God and God abides in him. Why? We come to know him and believe in him. And we have this love that nobody else has. He's reiterating it. And by this it is perfected, verse 17, so that we may be confident in the day of what? Judgment. Jesus didn't just save you so that you could relax and say, whew, got nothing to worry about. He saved you so that you would understand now you have a purpose, and that purpose is given to us in the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the world and what? Make a disciple. God works through you. That's the whole book of 1 John summarized about his love. They get to know God through you. They get to understand the truth through you. They get to see how it plays out through you. You become the ambassador, the Bible says. You become the one who is the picture of God on earth. You're the one that gets to be used by God to accomplish his purposes. You have been saved by God from God's wrath for God's use. You've been equipped with the spiritual blessings. Now the question is, have you transferred your trust from yourself to him? That's the reality of whether or not you're a living sacrifice. Have you transferred your trust from yourself to him? Do you rely completely? There would be no fear because perfect love casts out fear. 
Because when you trust in God instead of yourself, he transfers the righteousness of his son to you. It's a fair exchange, believe me, that when you transfer your trust to him, he transfers his son's righteousness to you. You'll never make a better deal in your life. It will save you from the wrath to come. Oh, it's not just going to happen by itself. The question that was asked, let me use James Kennedy's scenarios. They're not mine. There's many other programs out there. But if you've done evangelism explosion, the question, the hardest part of evangelism, I remember going out on the streets from door to door and sharing with those in the church, meeting their spouses and their friends. And, hey, pastor, come over today because I've got some friends coming over. I want you to answer some questions. Man, it was like a setup. And I knew, I was thinking, man, what part of the Bible do I need to know? And where am I going to go? And what kind of questions are they going to have? And can I know it all? And it was going to be like this drooling party about three hours long. And they were going to give me a grade on how well I did. And all those things would run through my mind. And so many times the question would just come, well, how do I get saved? Well, I'm... And I was ready to talk about theology, ecclesiology, soteriology. I mean, I had it down. I had everything in seminary memorized. And what, well, what do you mean? What do you mean to be saved? That's easy. You don't need my help for that. And I honestly couldn't tell them. Look, I'm being honest. A graduate of seminary, a pastor in the church, the simple question, well, how do I get that? If someone walked up to you today and left church and simply said, I, I heard that you were saved from the wrath of God, how can I have that? Just believe. Just call upon the name of Jesus. See, those are the questions we give people. It's like, wow. Here's what James Kennedy wrote. Let me close. He loved us first. What changes everything. Nobody's going to ask you what it means to be saved if the Holy Spirit has not already told them they need to be what? Saved. So my point is this. You've got someone very good on your side. Because he's already at work. He's already drawing. He's already bringing it. And he's already created the situation for you to be there. He's planned and performed it all out. And what he's really saying is let my love be completed through you. James Kennedy said when you get done sharing with somebody all about God... The problem is most people would never ask this question. Here's how it started. If you were to die today, are you certain that God would let you into his kingdom? Well, you don't want to ask someone that really. Man, that's offensive. I mean, what gives you the right to decide? It was an offensive question. And it had an answer, and if you responded, certainly, here was the second question. Well, if he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Do you see, it was a, a whole scenario that led into an entire presentation that gave you questions and answers and scenarios to deal with people. And he said, by the time you get to those questions, you could simply ask someone this question, would you like to ask Jesus to save you? That's the part we never get to. Parents, have you said to your children... After all the catechism training, have you said it to them after all the times they've been in church? Have you said it to them after they've learned the stories and repeated the scriptures? 
Have you ever sat down with your children and simply just said, would you like to ask Jesus to save you? Or did they just assume because they went to church, they were? Because they were with you, they were. Because they have the right answers, they are. And because they're in a good church, one day they will be. The hardest question was to ask and then to say this, number two question. Write this down, folks. Would you like Jesus to save you? He said the next second hardest question was this. If they say yes, are you willing to repent and follow him? There is no salvation without repentance. There is no salvation if you're not following Jesus. You can't be saved if he hasn't covered you. So I'm asking you this morning, folks, the, the message of 1 John, bear with me. By this we know that God has given us his spirit because he abides in us and he has given us his son to be the savior from the wrath of God. Would you like to be saved from this wrath of God? Are you willing to repent and follow him? Listen to this prayer from Dr. D. James Kennedy in Evangelism Explosion. It was prefaced, if you don't know the plan, when you ask that person and they say, yes, I want to be saved. Don't just say, oh, good, let's go see the pastor. Ask them if they're willing to repent and follow. And if they say yes, he said, here's the best part. Tell them you just want to pray with them. Tell them you want to receive Christ into your heart. And here's his prayer. He says, pray this. And maybe you should. Lord Jesus, I want you to come in and take over my life today. I am a sinner. I have been trusting in myself and my own works. But right now, I place my trust in you. I accept you as my personal Savior to deliver me from the wrath of God. I believe you died for me. I receive you as Lord and Master of my life. Help me to turn from my sins and to follow you. I accept the free gift of life. I cannot do it by myself. I know I am not worthy of it, but I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, I pray. And then... Give them the scriptures of Acts 16. When Peter is preaching, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be what? Saved. What is John telling us? He's telling you this morning that you need to be saved from God. The wrath that is real for those in unbelief. And the only way to be saved from God is to be saved by God, by his only son, Jesus Christ, by the one he has given to this world.
by the one who has taken the punishment, paid the price, and healed the enmity and reconciled us back together. And we are saved for Christ. That you would learn to share that faith and allow the love of God to be perfected or rather completed in you. I'm not sure who it is in your life. I'm not sure if it's one of your own children. Maybe it's your own spouse. It might just be yourself. That today you say, Pastor, I don't deserve it. I have not earned it. But I sure thank the Lord for it. That you would give your son for me. I believe it. I rest upon it. And thank you. Heavenly Father, again we ask you to forgive us. Thank you for John's words, that we can make them applicable to us, that we can see how the love is perfected, not because of anything we have done. Lord, it's not because we were given second chances and third chances and fourths and fifths. It's not that death is going to deliver us at some point. Father, it's because your son, Jesus Christ, has already paid the price. He's already paid the penalty. He's already prepared the place for us. Lord, I ask now that we would be ready when death presents us. That we would have no fear and we could answer the question, why should God let me into his heaven? It's because I'm clothed in the righteousness of his son. And I've been saved from the wrath to come. Father, we give you the praise and glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. We invite you to stay with us again for Bible study immediately following. But if you had received the benediction... Let me just read this. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may equip you with everything for doing his will, and that he may work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.